Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. On April the 4th, 1975, uh, must have been close to 10 o'clock at night, I prayed and received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'd come to realize that, I was 19 years old, I'd come to realize that, you know, my life certainly didn't measure up to God's standards, you know. I'd been living my own way and uh, realized I needed forgiveness. I uh, understood that Jesus died for my sins and rose again, and so I prayed and said, oh God, I know that I have sinned against you. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. Right now, I receive Jesus as my Savior, and it changed my life in so many ways. Uh, I would never, ever want to go back to not knowing Jesus as Savior. Now, changed my life in so many ways, I wish I could say that I had always lived like a Christian. (laughs) I haven't always lived like a Christian, and occasionally I still don't. Anybody else? Okay, good, it's not just me. I'm worried about you guys going out here and say, our pastor says he doesn't live like a Christian. <laughs> and so we, we all still continue to fail. We still make our, uh, we sin against God, do things that he says we shouldn't do, and we don't do things that he says he, we should do, and our hearts aren't always right where they ought to be in the things that we do. Uh, and so, thankfully, Jesus already died for all that, didn't he? Died for all of that. But here's the thing. When we... I think the biggest obstacle to the world around us understanding uh, what's available to them in Jesus Christ is when we as Christians don't live like Christians. You understand what I mean? We would say we're Christians, but we don't live like it. Sometimes that's the result of just stuff that we brought into our new life with us, right? We, we had a, how we looked at life and how we uh, responded to things and we became a Christian and, and we just kind of keep rolling with that and those things need to change and maybe we see it, maybe we don't see it yet, uh, but we, so those things are there and sometimes we just really get, we're recovering sinners, Right? Okay, every one of us sinned against the Holy God and, and, and even if we receive Christ as Savior, now we're in a process of recovery, right? Learning to think differently, learning to choose differently, learning to act differently. But when we, if we aren't careful, we can get into certain patterns and, and we've somehow rather rationalized it in our mind where, where we, we're Christians and we believe these things and we trust in God, but yet we're living in certain ways that are just not Christian. They're unchristian. And that's not good for us, and it's certainly not good for the world around us. Because there's a word that starts with H that the world just loves to throw at Christians. What is it? Hypocrite. And sometimes that's justified, okay? So what we want to talk about today, we're going to look at a story in the Bible. I've called this a sermon series, Highlight Reels. Uh, Highlight Reels is just going to be three three, uh, sermons here, John chapter 8, 9, and 10. You know, when I look at the, uh, the Bible and think about it, there are certain stories that jump out and I remember, you know what I mean? And so that's what I'm, I'm choosing to preach on these next few weeks, called highlight reels, highlight from the Gospels for me. 
Um, but the story we're going to look at today, um, we see in it here people who are supposed to be representing God, not representing God very well. And we're going to talk about this. We want to apply those things then to situations we might find ourselves in today that we need to really think about. What's it mean to live like a Christian? Okay? So let's take our Bibles and turn to uh, the Gospel of John. And if you're here today and you don't have a Bible with you, that's, that's fine. Uh, there are Bibles under the chairs there in front of you. And uh, I'll give you the page numbers. We're, we're going to be on page 1,231 to start with. We really encourage you to pick up one of those Bibles and follow along. It'll make it a lot easier for you. John chapter 8. Really, really well-known story. Uh, yeah, it's challenging and encouraging. So let's, let's start actually in verse number 2 of chapter 8. It says this. Now early in the morning, he, talking about Jesus... He came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. You know, by this time, everywhere Jesus goes, he draws a crowd, okay? He draws a crowd, and so even though he's there in the morning, the crowd's there, and it's probably growing, because they've heard of this Jesus, this miracle worker and a man who teaches not like the regular religious leaders teach, and so they're showing up. He's got a big crowd here. Verse 3. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set, the, set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. Now I want you to imagine this. So... I don't know how many people were there, but here's Jesus, he's sitting, people are all gathered around him, maybe, you know, they're sitting and then maybe in the back they're standing. And here come these religious leaders. And don't you know how they came in, right? These guys, they were the important people. And so they come marching in, right through, making everybody move, and they bring this lady in and pop her down in the middle there, in front of Jesus. Could you imagine being this woman? And so many things here. Let's look here. I want to just walk you through some things with this. So they brought, brought her. They set her in the middle. Are they concerned about this woman? They are concerned about this woman. They're using this woman. Okay? And they said, teach this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. How convenient. I mean, we understand someone could get caught in adultery. But it just seems way too convenient here. And here's why I want you to, to, to think about this. Doesn't it take two to commit adultery? Where is the man? Now in this culture, you know, the, the women though much better treated in the, the Jewish culture than in the Gentile culture around them, nonetheless, they still weren't treated as well as Jesus taught us to treat them in the New Testament. But so they're just using this woman. And it almost makes you think, was somebody involved in, there was a man involved in this plot, right? It's just a mess, okay. So, so convenient uh, that she was caught in the very act. And then, uh, 
So where's the man? All right, and now Moses and the law command us that such should be stoned, that she should be put to death. Now, that sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? All right, so let's talk about the Old Testament law for just a little bit. In the Old Testament, the law of Moses. When God gave his people the law of Moses, um, he set very, very high standards because one of the purposes of the law was to teach people how holy God is, how totally separate from sin he is, and how, you know, he wants nothing to do with sin. Uh, and so he put these laws in, and then he put penalties in place for these laws, and the, the, the severity of the penalty tells us how damaging the sin was, okay? In other words, the more damaging the sin was to the individuals involved or to others who were affected by it, the higher the penalty. And so there were a number of, of sins in the Old Testament that had capital punishment attached to them in the Jewish religion, okay? Now, uh, one of those was murder, okay? And so if you murdered someone, it showed that you knowingly, purposely took the life of another person, then you forfeited your life. That was the law. And there really were no, not to be any exceptions to that. Now, if there was question about whether you actually, you know, intended to do that or happened by accident or you didn't premeditate it, then uh, there were ways and places to deal with that, okay? And all of the other laws, like adultery and the other ones that had capital punishment as part of it, uh, we don't really have record that, that that was carried out very often. And the reason was because the Jewish teachers in the tradition said that for most of those other things, you could instead off, come and worship God and offer a sacrifice to pay the penalty for that sin. Now, that brings us to understand a second thing about the Old Testament law, and that's that it was a symbol, a symbol of Jesus, because Jesus was going to come one day and be what? The perfect, the final sacrifice for sins. Going to take our place, all right? So, but adultery had the capital punishment attached to it, and so if there wasn't a sacrifice made for sins, if there wasn't a, a genuine repentance and dealing with this before God, then it could require the uh, capital punishment. And the reason is, is because of the damage that it does. Adultery just does huge damage. First, it damages a relationship between a man and a woman, and sometimes actually to the point of where that relationship doesn't survive. And everybody who's connected with that, children, parents, close friends, everybody's affected by that. And when the marriage ends, if it ends, oftentimes the woman ends up living in poverty while trying to get the man. I mean, it's just a mess, okay? So it's a serious, serious thing. And so let me, let me say this to you, because it, 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 I think it's helpful to understand. When God in the, in the Bible says something is wrong, that it's a sin, it's not arbitrary on God's part. God tells us something is a sin because it is harmful for us. It's not good for you. Oh, you might think it's fun for right now, but in the long run, it's not going to be, see? And so when God tells us not to sin, it's for our own well-being, not because he wants to make up rules. I mean, I think probably all of us, if you have children, 
You know, when you tell them no, now we're, we're, we're recovering sinners, so sometimes we can tell them no for selfish reasons, can't we? Let's be honest, right? I don't want to deal with this right now, no! <laughs> but most of the stuff, when we actually think about set up a rule, no, it's because we know what's best for them, don't we? And so we tell them, no, that's off limits. Or, yes, you will do this because we really love them and care about them. That's what God has done in his word when he's told us, do this or don't do that. This is a sin or this is not. It's for our own well-being. All right, all of that just kind of to get back to the fact that saying that they're coming and saying, in the law, it commands that she should be stoned. What do you say, teacher? Because they wanted to catch him in something that they could accuse him of. Why were they like that? Well, the reason they were like this is because their, their power was threatened, right? Here are the religious leaders. They have everything all set in place. They're the ones who can strut around, and everybody has to, oh, you know, get out of the way and pay attention to them. And, and uh, Jesus comes along and says, it ain't about that. Ain't is in the Greek somewhere. <laughs> it's not about that. It's about a heart that's right before God. It's about loving God and loving your fellow human beings. That's what this is about. It's not about you know, who's the most important, who has the most power. I mean, these guys, these religious leaders in the Old Testament talked about that they were to wear uh, the, I forget who Dave probably knows or Barry knows. What were they to wear? What is that called? Oh, well, the phylacteries were the thing, but what was in it? But what was it called? Tefillin, okay, see, he knows the Hebrew word. I, <laughs> but the idea is, it's the Lord our God is one, is that what it is? Yeah, okay, the, the Shema, okay. Anyway, they, they had like little scrolls that they put in, they would put it on their head, their head covering. Um, and what these guys had done is, is they got a bigger one, and a bigger one, and a bigger one. Big ones! Because they're really spiritual if you got a big phylactery here, right? And, and doesn't that just show human tendencies? Anyway, so they're making themselves so important. Jesus said it isn't about that. And so they're saying she is supposed to be stoned. And the reality is, yes, it did say that, but there were other options. Secondly, it required if a man and woman were caught in adultery that both of them were guilty. So they aren't playing by the rules, are they? They're playing by their own rules. They are claiming to be God's people, but they are not acting like it. And what did Jesus call them? The H word? Hypocrites. All right, so let's continue with the story here. Verse six. This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him, because if he said, uh, no, she shouldn't be put to death. You know, they were hoping because they knew Jesus was, loved people. Jesus cared about people. If they said that, then they could say, they could, you know, all yell and make a big deal that he's setting aside the word of God. He isn't doing what God has said. Or if he had said, yes, he should be stoned, they would say, see, he isn't really what he seems to be. This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. 
So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So let's just stop him here. When they're demanding an answer from him and Jesus doesn't answer initially, right? He stooped down and I, I, I would demonstrate that today, but after walking 11 or 13,000 steps yesterday, four miles here, 28 floors, my app says. If I got down now, I might not get back up. It says that Jesus stooped down and, and it's as he wrote, as if he were writing. And we have no clue what he was writing. We really don't. You know, we can guess it was this, we can guess it was that. What is interesting to me is that in the Old Testament it says that God wrote the law on the tablets with his finger. So maybe Jesus is just writing the commands in the, the dirt, we don't know. Uh, maybe he's writing, maybe he's writing down the sins of the people, these religious leaders. We don't know. It doesn't tell us they even saw what he wrote. We don't know. The point is he did. And they, then they finally, he finally answers them. And he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Now, two things going on here. One is that if for any capital offense, for somebody put to death, it required two or three witnesses. Two to three witnesses, eyewitnesses, have to have seen and known. And those eyewitnesses once the sentence is passed, are to throw the first stones. And so where are they? They probably don't even have the two to three witnesses. But they're bent on this. And so he says, okay, you're without sin, you throw the first stone. And then he goes back to whatever he was doing there on the ground. Let's continue reading. Verse 9. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. So somehow, however this worked, however God was working here, these people, these religious leaders, saw, saw themselves as not being without sin, as being in the wrong here, okay? And they leave. So Jesus is left alone, the woman staying in the midst, verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where, and, and by, okay, so, you know the Bible was written in a different time and place, different culture, right? I mean, if, if you heard me in the foyer talk to some lady and say, hey, woman, That is in the Old Testament. This is, this is a, a common, affectionate, nice way to say woman. So he's speaking respectfully, lady, uh, whatever, okay? Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now imagine being that woman. Has her world now changed? Yeah, in, in a very big way. Jesus. But I want you to see a couple things here. 
He says, neither do I condemn you. See, Jesus wasn't an eyewitness of this. He didn't know. You know, he couldn't vouch for whether this had happened or not or how it went down. He wasn't in a position to condemn her. But I think this is bigger than that. I want you to see a distinction. So neither do I condemn, and what's the next word? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I do condemn the sin. That was wrong. Ought not be a part of your life. You need to stop. But I don't condemn you. Jesus here makes a distinction between the person and their sin. Now this is huge. Uh, this changed me. Um, well, we're going on probably 17, 18 years ago. I went through a time in my life of really struggling with uh, feeling like I had, to, I had to perform, I had to be perfect and had to get everything exactly right in order to um, be respected and valued by other people. And I was driven by it. And, and God just brought me to a breaking point with that and, and said, what are you doing? I accept you. Right? You don't have to measure up for me. I measure it up for you, Jesus says. So, so I accept you, and, and you need to let that go and rest in me. You're valuable because I say so. You, you're significant because I have plans for you. And so uh, I really worked through that and, and broke down and started to understand how God loves me, how he loves me unconditionally, doesn't like my sin, and he's working on that, and sometimes he lets me experience hard things because of my stupid choices, Right? But he loves me and loves me unconditionally. He accepts me. This is how I learned about how Christ loves me. He accepts me without approving of the sin in my life. But he accepts me. You see the difference? And so Jesus says here, I'm changing order. He says, yeah, what you did is wrong. You need to stop. Shouldn't be a part of your life. But I want you to know, I don't condemn you as the person. Do you see the difference? That makes sense? That's how the Lord treats us. And sometimes we as human beings have a hard time making that separation, don't we? All right, so, so let's, let's talk about this here. There are um, three major ideas. When we're talking about when Christians can live certain ways that aren't Christian. And the first one is this. Using Christianity for your own purposes is unchristian. That's what these guys were doing. I mean, it wasn't Christianity, but weren't they using religion for their own purposes? They had their positions, their nice, you know, way of life, and all this kind of, Jesus was a threat to this, and so they, they're going to use the law to, to catch Jesus in something. This wasn't about God, it was about them. And, and believe it or not, we can live this way too. Um, man, have anybody besides me just been really discouraged about uh, the political news over the past six weeks, six, eight weeks, right? All the posturing and, and uh, on multiple places, and this can be multiple issues, it's just been highlighted this, this past few weeks, uh, where people act morally superior. We have the moral high ground, and what they are doing, though, is they aren't caring about the people involved. 
Doesn't seem to me as though they're caring about the well-being of our nation. Seems to me they are caring about their own political clout. Okay? And lest you think I'm talking about one party or another, I'm not. All right? I'm talking about the tendency of human beings to claim the moral high ground for their own purposes. Now, we as Christians would never do that, right? We can. Let's think about this. So, what is God's purposes for Christianity? I mean, I think we could probably list a lot of reasons, but one is that he tends to glorify himself because the more glorified he is in our lives, the better off we are, right? And so to, for us to know his love. But he says, here's what your Christianity is to be about, right? We're to be going and making disciples. That includes ourselves. We need to be becoming better disciples. Better, if that's a new word to your disciples, means a follower of Christ, someone who's received Christ as Savior and is seeking to live like a Christian. So we need to be becoming better followers of Christ, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teach them to observe all the commands I have given you. Notice, teach them to live like Christians. Okay? That's what we're to be about. Uh, not working to make something. <laughs> well, let me just go on here. So, we've kind of tried to summarize these things that we're to be doing in this way. We think everything in the Bible can probably be plugged into one of these. We surrender to the Lord. That starts that first time we receive Jesus as Savior, okay, when we do that. It starts there, and every time we, we realize he says, oh, we, ought to do, we say yes to him. We grow to be like the Lord. This is becoming more like Jesus in our thinking and in our heart and in our actions. And then we tell others about the Lord. Now, what I've discovered is that we as Christians, maybe it's just humans, Human beings who, have, who are also Christians. We typically have, you know, one or two of those that we like. And the other one we're not so keen on. And I'm not, I, I've been picking on you, rightfully so, about that we tell others about the Lord. We've been leaving that one out, okay? But we're working on that. So I'm not, it's not just that one, it's any of those, right? Uh, and we think that we can do the other two without that. But here's the thing. When we... When we live by God's word, do things go better in our lives? Amen. Absolutely. When we live the way the Bible says we ought to live, things go better. When, in, when you get sin out of your life, more and more sin out of your life, remember, sin's not good for you, your life goes better. And, and when you understand what God says about your relationships and you begin to live those things out, your relationships get better. When you do the things that God says about with your finances, putting him first in it and, and using your finances the way God says in his word, your finances get better. When, when, you, when you let go of the, the habits that are bad for you because you think God says, I ought to take care of myself, does your health get better, right? If we aren't careful, Christianity starts becoming an approach to life that's good for us. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we have forgotten the purpose. It's not just for us to have a good life. We will have a better life when we follow the Lord until we get persecuted and people chop off our heads. Probably not gonna happen here soon. But it is in other parts of the world. But the point is, it's easy for us if we are not careful to begin using Christianity for our own purpose. And we don't think we are, but no, we're doing this now because it's good for us and we like it. And those other parts that we aren't too keen on, yeah, we just kind of ignore those. Do you see how what we have done now? 
If, if we don't accept the whole thing and do live the way God has told us to live, we're doing it, we have our own agenda. We have our own agenda, and so we are using Christianity for our own purposes, and it's not Christian. That's not Christianity. It's unchristian, okay? All right. The second one is this. Using Christianity to condemn people is unchristian. To condemn people. Remember, we made this distinction between people and sin. Um, and I'll go back to watching you know, the news and, and, and reading about it and what's gone on the past few months. And do you know how many times I had to tell myself, no, you're not gonna write anything on Facebook about this? Because <laughs> I wanted to. I was frustrated, I was angry, I wanna, and, but the reality is what was going on in my heart was not God's thing. Because and for, let's add to the, uh, beyond the politics, the politics, that, that person at work who drives you nuts because they are weird. Anybody like, maybe you're that person, I don't know. <laughs> if you're saying, I don't know who that person is, maybe it's you. <laughs> but that person who really, and you just, you know, you don't want anything to do with them, and you just, eh, you know, and, and, if we aren't careful, and, and let's say we have people who have different views of what's moral and immoral. People have different views of, of what the Bible says about that, you know, I mean, all these things. And if, if we aren't careful, we can use the word of God to absolve ourselves of responsibility for a relationship with those people. We can do like the Pharisees and go, sinner. Now, am I right? Whether it's people we know or people we don't know, whole groups of people. But here's the thing. If someone is actually caught up in sin, what is their life like? Are they experiencing the freedom and the blessing and the joy of knowing the Lord? No. And if they die without coming to a relationship with Christ, they are lost forever. We ought not condemn those people. We ought to be burdened for those people. We ought to care about it and say, God, that person is weird and then they do things that just aren't right and I don't want anybody to think I'm associated with them. Well, guess what? That's exactly what happened with Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus hung out with those people because he cared about them. He loved them. And all these you know, self-righteous religious people are condemning him because he's friends of sinners. We should be friends of sinners, folks. And that doesn't mean that we get involved in the sin. You know, we have to not do those things, but we need to care. We, Christians ought not to be condemners. You see, here's the thing. When we condemn people, we forget something. Turn to John chapter 3, and that's page 1223 that's in the Bible there. This is the last place we'll turn today, John 3. We forget that people are already condemned. Verse 18, John chapter three, verse 18 says, he who believes in him is not condemned. The person who believes and has received Christ's Savior is not condemned, but he who does not believe, the person who has not 
believed and received Christ as Savior. He who does not believe is condemned, what? Already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so these people that we're looking at and we want to condemn them because of their lifestyle, their sinful lifestyle or their position on an issue or whatever, how they've treated me. We want to condemn them. Why are we doing that? They're already condemned. That should break your heart. They're just showing you that they're already condemned. Look in the verse previous, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's what Jesus is about. Now, does that mean that we say sin isn't sin? No, Jesus told this woman, what, go and what? Sin no more, don't sin, this is sin. And so there are times and places for us to say that's not right. But the Apostle Paul talking about how we talk to each other in the church and, and how God works in the church really applies even beyond the church, and that's that we are to speak the truth, how? in love. We well, go ahead and put that up if you would, Mitchell. Speaking the truth in love. That means we're telling the truth because we care, not because we are condemning. See the difference? There's a big difference. Now, here's the good news. That when we receive Jesus as savior, no more condemnation. Uh, Romans chapter eight says it this way. It says, there is no, therefore now no, how much condemnation? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so in my relationship with God, April 4th, 1975, I received Jesus as Savior. No more condemnation. And when I sin, I know Jesus died for that sin. And you say, oh good, you can go sin. Well, not me, because God changed my heart. And when you believe and receive Christ as Savior, it changes you and you start to want to do differently. And so the idea is, but I, I don't have this condemnation. I have this free and open relationship with Jesus. Jesus said to me when I received Christ as Savior, he said, go, I, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Stop sinning. And uh, that's a work in progress. But we, we receive Jesus' Savior when we acknowledge that we have sinned against the Holy God. We haven't lived the way that he said we should live. Our sins have separated us from him. We don't have a spiritual life within us. We're spiritually dead. And we understand that if we die in that condition, we will be in that condition forever, lost in hell. And so we instead believe that Jesus died for our sins, rose again from the dead, that he is the Son of God, and we place our faith in him. I can't fix this problem, God. I have already blown it. I have messed up. I need your forgiveness. I need Jesus as my Savior and receive Christ as Savior. And the moment we do that, the Bible says he forgives every sin we have or ever will commit. Every sin he has paid for. No more condemnation. This life ends, we go to heaven. And now in this life, he moves in. God moves in and starts working on you, changing you from the inside out in great ways, all right? It's crucial that we make that decision. The third and the last thing we wanna look at as I think an issue that connects with this here, and that's that using Christianity to justify your own sin. 
is unchristian. There are those who would say that Jesus here is saying to this woman, don't worry about it. None of us are perfect, you know, not a big deal. But I would say to you that isn't at all what Jesus was saying. He's saying what? That was sin. Don't do it. Okay? We have to be careful because, I mean, I don't think I'm the only one that's ever wrestled with this. You know, we have things in our lives where we sin in a certain way and then, oh, we, don't, we do better and then we do it again. And, and after 12 years, it happens again, right? And you're going, what? What's the hope here? And, and what we can't do is say, oh, well, I'm forgiven. But what we do have to say is, oh God, here I am. Thank you so much that you have forgiven me. I don't know why I'm here again. I don't want to be here. I'm working my life. Help me not to. You know, and we get up and go on with the intention of sinning no more. <sighs> Learning not to sin is, uh, it's always going to be a work in progress. But that's the point. It should be a What? A work that is in progress. We need to be continually to grow in that. We need to continue working on it. We need to continue to do better. All right? Because if we allow ongoing sin in our lives, not only does it affect us, but it affects the lives of everybody we touch, or maybe we should say don't touch properly, because we're not in tune with the Lord. It really, really matters. And so I want to challenge you today to think about that. What, what sins are in your life? What are you kind of giving a pass to yourself on? Don't. Don't give yourself a pass. And if it's a big enough problem, get help. There's nothing wrong with that. Get help. And what is there that's not in your life that you know ought to be? You know the Lord says this ought to be in your life, and it isn't. And we need to make those changes too. So we really want to challenge you today. Live like a Christian. Don't use your Christianity for your own purposes. Make sure you're, you're saying yes to the whole thing from the Lord. Uh, don't uh, use your Christianity to condemn other people. That's just not Christian. And then make sure that you take sin seriously in your own life. Take it serious. It is serious. And if you haven't received Jesus as Savior, you need to do that. Let's all bow our heads right now. So all of you here, many of you, most of you probably have received Christ as Savior. And if that's the case here today and, and you say, you know what, as, as I've listened to the word today, you know, I, I've, the Lord has spoken to me about some things I need to address in my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Nobody else looking around at me. Lord prompted you about that, yeah, okay, great, thank you, a lot of hands. If you're here today and you say, I'm not sure what you're talking about, I don't, I don't think I've ever received Jesus my Savior, not the way that you're talking about it, if that's you and you say, but I'd like to, I want to, to know that my sins are forgiven, I want to know that I'm not condemned, I want to, to be able to become a Christian and live like a Christian. 
If that's you, then I, what I want you to do is I'm gonna uh, pray a prayer and I want you to pray along with me. And you pray silently in your heart. God knows what's going on in your heart and mind. But you pray along with me and you pray something like this to God. So right now, talk to God. Say, God, I know that I have sinned. I know that my sins have separated me from you. And I know if I die like this, I'll go to hell. I believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. I believe that he died for my sins on the cross and rose from the dead. And right now, I receive Jesus as my savior. I receive his forgiveness for my sin. I receive his life, his eternal life. The very best I know how, I do that. Amen. Still, heads bowed, eyes closed. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you if you prayed with me that prayer to, to raise your hand. When nobody else looking around, I would like to be able to pray for you about your decision. Um, so, once again, nobody else looking around, eyes closed, but if you just prayed with me that prayer to receive Jesus as Savior, would you just lift your hand so I can see? Yes, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that, yes. I see that one too, yes. Others? All right. Father, thank you so much for these who have prayed today to receive Jesus as Savior. I ask, Father, that you would help them to understand the, the truth of this, the reality of it in their own lives. And I pray, Father, that as we've talked today, that they will begin to, to seek to live a Christian life and that they would let us help them with that. Uh, and, and I thank you for what you've done for us in sending your son that we can be not condemned. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The Life Source family, four people today, raise your hands and trust in Jesus. Listen, if you pray today, and you, you may not have raised your hand or I may not have even seen it, but we would like to help you understand this decision uh, we have uh, some ways that we can help you do that. Uh, low pressure, get together and have a conversation. But the couple ways you can let us know. There's um, a, a connection card in your, your chairs there. Fill that out and drop it off at the connection center out there. Talk to me personally or connect us with us through the website or Facebook page, something. We'd really like to help you to understand that decision and what the awesome things it's gonna mean in your life. So. All right, folks, this afternoon, the choir link is going up. And you're not going to wait a month to sign up, right? God bless you. Thank you. You are dismissed.